0: I used to always tell my mom, I just say what other people are really thinking. And her response was, because you're dumb, Kyle, you say what you shouldn't say. No one else is saying it for a reason. I've had more people reach out to me this week than probably every other time I've ever preached here in 25 years. Which is fascinating because all we're talking about, in my opinion, is what many of us wrestle with. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about this God. I've sat here all my life. I know the stories. I know what you're saying, but I'm watching the world around me and I'm not sure... If I'm buying it, if you're, if you're walking in today and you're here for the very first time, you're walking into the midst of a family conversation where we're asking, what do we do with doubt? What do you do if, if I'm not sure if i buy this stuff or not and i want to be clear again this week i'm not smart enough to do this i don't know why brian asked me to do this these are the people if you're interested i want you to engage not in a 20 or 25 minute sermon but in real questions and these are the people who are speaking about this subject that's speaking into my heart i'll be honest even last night there was a new sermon series by andy stanley called faith full and I It speaks to me. So I'm not smart enough to do this. I just know that last week, I'm looking at every one of the deconversion stories that these students will walk up to me, or 30-year-olds, or 50-year-olds, or 100-year-olds, and they'll say, I'm not sure I buy this. And almost every single time, their doubts are really just unmet expectations. They're just saying, I thought God would do this and be this way, and He's not, so therefore God cannot exist. One time I was sitting with my friend Brian Booker, and I was complaining about something. And he said this Expectations are simply premeditated resentments. I had to go to counseling for that one, I think. I mean, you just think about that with your marriage, with your kids, every expectation is just another way for me to be resentful for what I thought things were supposed to be like. <laughs> there are two questions uh, that I want to wrestle with these next two weeks, and in the class that we 're doing in the in the gym we 're wrestling with another dozen of these, but these are the two that when I have these conversations, they just keep coming up over and over and over again. I cannot believe in a God who would allow the world to look like this. I can't believe in a God who would allow this to happen to my family, who would allow this to happen to me, who would, would say he loves me, and yet I want to wrestle with that today. The second one, Do you really believe that there was this Jewish carpenter and he was God and that he died and that he actually rose from the dead? How dumb are we to believe that? That's next week. Sorry, didn't mean to get you excited, Dano. You got to come back. This morning, I want to start with this question. What do you expect from God today? What do you expect from him? If you grew up in our churches, there, there was, I, I think you can learn a lot from the people that stand up here. And, and there's a lot of phrases, particularly in prayers, that are said all the time. And I think, y'all know, I mean, there's already people laughing at me. Because you know, the what we expect from God are the things we pray for. And so I'm going to start the phrase, and you're going to finish it. Father, will you guard and the young people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. What, that's, what, what do you mean? I grew up, almost every Sunday, some person would stand up and in the middle of the prayer, God, would you guard us and would you guide us? Guard and guide and direct and protect and help. Do you see the picture of what we're asking God for? There's, a, uh, there's another phrase that uh, is really enjoyable to say out loud. A hedge Of protection, have you heard this? If you're under a certain age, you you're like, what in the world is he talking about? There's a comedian named Tim Hawkins who does a comedy bit on that phrase. He says somebody walked up to him and said, "Tim, I've been praying a hedge of protection around you tonight." Is the devil scared of greenery? I mean, if you're going to pray for me, could you put a concrete wall and some razor wire? I don't think, I think he's got some clippers. Please give me something else. But there's this picture of us going, I want to be protected. So what do we expect from God? And I just want to be honest. Many of us, we want comfort. We want to be protected. We don't want to hurt we want ease. We want good. We want blessing. Please don't send me any ugly emails about what I'm about to say. We take things out of Scripture. And we say, this is what I'm asking God for. And so we think, take things like, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock it. And we take that and go, I asked and I, and I, and I wanted. And he doesn't come through for you. And then what do you do with that? And this is the one that I'm going to be in trouble for. Have you ever read the full book of Jeremiah? And again, I know it's on your walls and on your computer screens and everywhere. And everyone wants to quote Jeremiah 29, 11. Please read the book. I know the plans he has for me, declares the Lord. The plans to prosper me and not to harm me. Somebody's already emailing me, texting me something ugly right now. But if that's what your expectation of God is, easy, good, safe, what is the fruit of that? For an atheist, all they have to do is say, look around, you morons. You sit there week after week after week and you say, God is good and look and we Christians cower and go "Um, yes but (laughs) this is one of the resources that was up on the screen this is Rebecca McLaughlin's book called Confronting Christianity and here's how she starts the chapter Three million Africans forcibly transported by the British slave trade. Six million Jews murdered in the Holocaust. The Rwandan genocide. The ethnic cleansing of the Rohingya Muslims. The trafficking of more than two million children this year in the global sex trade. While 1.5 million children died of diarrhea. Famines in South Sudan, Somalia, Nigeria, Yemen. In 2004, Tsunami in Indonesia that left 230,000 people dead, the quiet stealth of cancer, children abused by their parents. If our picture of Yahweh is someone who's going to keep us safe, atheists look around and go, How dumb can you be? And for some of us, as People who want to believe but aren't sure and are struggling with doubt and is this real or is it not? (laughs) We think that our faith is fragile. We think that Christianity is fragile. We think that the church is fragile. And everyone that's leaving, all those nuns that you talked about last, it's it's all falling apart and everything's going away. And oh, what are we going to do? And so maybe I guess all this stuff is garbage. Do you see the assumption that's embedded in it? If God is good, why is there so much suffering in the world? And we drop our heads and go, maybe they have a point. But the question is, what does the existence of suffering prove? No one is saying there's not suffering. So what does it prove? It proves that a God that does not allow suffering does not exist it absolutely proves a hundred percent everyone in this room can attest and I've heard story upon story for 25 years here that suffering is real so we know for a fact that there is no such thing as a God that will not allow suffering he does not exist but who told us that Who told us that that's the world that we should expect with God? Begin in Genesis 3, and here's the story when the first two people, just like me, said, I don't want God to be God. I think I want to do it. And from that moment on, look at the picture. Abraham suffered and was tested. Genesis 22, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, Isaac, and I want you to take him over there on that mountain and sacrifice him. But God, God wouldn't ask that. Isaac, tested, suffered. Jacob, suffered. Joseph, chapters 37 through 50 is a continual picture of a man who is suffering and doesn't know the and we don't know the end of the story until we get to the oh this is why that was allowed where did we get this picture that we weren't supposed to suffer <laughs> moses israel the prophets the priests the kings where did we get the idea that suffering was if, if we come to church and be good and we're moral, awesome people, then our lives will be soft and squishy and good. That God doesn't exist. Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me beside into green pastures. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Not if you walk, but you will walk. You have to walk. Paul, the disciples, Christianity has never said that you won't suffer. So the world who is standing proudly outside these walls going, Your God is ridiculous. You guys are morons. How could you believe that? We've never said that, but I am afraid we believed it. I've been in a passage all week, and I can't get it. I I, I don't know what's about to come out. I have been reading this and reading this and reading this and reading this because to know this topic, or really any topic about God, we're just going to look at Jesus. So turn with me to John chapter 11, And let's see what, let's see what happens. And before I do this, I want to say something. While I am the guy that just continues to say things that people shake their head at and go, I can't believe he said that out loud, I am petrified today. that someone in this room would think that I am minimizing their suffering in any shape, form, or fashion. I am scared to death that, that what I'm going to say or that, that the enemy could use anything that I am going to communicate to go, just get over it. God's good. Please walk with me for the next few minutes because that's not what I'm saying. Verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus Lord, the one who you love is sick. And when Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. What's the next word? The word in the NIV is yet, but a better translation and most translations say what? Does anybody have a different translation? So. He loved him, not yet. That makes it sound easier and softer. It's, he loved him so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Where do we get an idea that Jesus wanted to run and fix everything that hurt your heart? Because it's not Scripture. Scripture. I have two questions that I just keep asking. Is there purpose for your pain? And does he even care? Is there purpose here? When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. Okay, this is going to be for God's glory, but what if the story had said, I'm not going to heal him at all because almost all of us have that in this habit in our hearts of moments where Jesus didn't show up, it's for God's glory and He's not going to heal Him. Is that okay? Or do you need Him to be that other God? Does He care? Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed there and let him die. What do we do with that? The deconversion stories I hear look at this story and say, see, he's not good. There's not a good God who would do that. But like everything else, we have to just keep reading. We have to keep looking. Skip to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. We do this with the Bible. We just read it because we know it. I am the resurrection and the life, and everybody's bored and goes, Yes, I know. I am there. He's going to heal him, get over it, and move on. Do you see what he's doing with this woman? You're. Concerned about your brother, but I am the resurrection. We're concerned about our kids and we're concerned about whether we win the game this Friday or night or not, or whether he gets hurt, or whether this happens, or whether this cancer is going to be gone. And Jesus is standing there going, I am the resurrection. There's something more significant than a physical life of your brother. but we have so embraced the world. We've so embraced what I want, the way I think things should be, the picture of the world that surely God would want this. And Jesus is looking at his friend and going, do you believe this? You know what she says, right? (laughs) Right? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. And us Christians who sit in pews go, amen. He is the, no, no, no. If all you care about is this temporal place, then of course suffering makes no sense to you. If all you see is what's fair from your point of view, of course, suffering makes absolutely no sense to you. This cannot be right, it cannot be true, and God cannot be trusted. And Jesus looks into that face and says, He will rise again. Your family member, my brother Tim, he did. He has risen again. Is there purpose? Yes. Does he care? Yes. Verse 30, or verse, sorry, moved on to 28. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said Please fix this. You love him, right? Please fix this. This isn't fair. You, you healed all those other people over there, and we're your people. We're your people. If you would have been here, we wouldn't have to go through this. When Jesus saw her weeping, The Jews had come along with her also weeping and he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Won't you fix this? And everyone in this room is thinking about something different right now. Would you fix this? Because if you were good, you would fix this. And Jesus. Is... Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? Or the other way to read this? But some of them said, Could not even just opened his eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying. There's two pictures he's offering, and we see them both, and we've experienced them both. Is there purpose? And does he care? Man, I'm going to have to skip a bunch. James 1. This doesn't sound very American, does it? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Ryan gave me a sermon from Randy Harris and he said, if God was trying to create Disney World, he failed miserably. But if God was trying to create a place where we could learn to love the way he does and see the way the world the way he does and have compassion and courage and strength, hmm, has, this is my question and I'll try to Skip all this. Has suffering ever had purpose for you? My worst day, my worst week, my worst month, my worst years are the most important things that have ever happened to me. Years. And I've heard this story again, and I didn't ask permission, I can't tell these stories, but gut-wrenching, awful stories, and they tell them, and here's it, I've heard this hundreds of times. They tell this story, and I say, what do you think? They say, I wouldn't change a thing. What? You wouldn't change I wouldn't go through it again. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, but I wouldn't change it because why? Because God is good and it has changed me. Is there purpose? Yes. Can we see it all the time? Now there's some people sitting here going, Kyle, you need to stop with this garbage. Because your little philosophizing doesn't get God off the hook for this. Yeah. And all I would say to you this morning is, isn't that what he came to do was get on the hook? We want these American soft, squishy, nice, easy lives. And yet what he says is, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me will save it. So the picture of American Christianity is soft and nice. And New Testament Christianity, everybody dies for a mission to walk into the darkness, into hell, into the suffering, into the brokenness, and say, Jesus, I am so sorry for the pain that's in this room. I don't pretend to understand. I don't pretend to understand what you're going through. I wish it were different. I cannot make an argument Jesus wept. I am with you always to the very ends of the age, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's doubt everywhere we look. And I just want you to think about this statement. Tested faith is how you discover if you have faith. Trying to figure out how to skip all sorts of things. But let me do this and then and then we'll we'll be done. In Luke twenty two, Jesus says to Peter, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. Do you remember this? And what does Jesus tell Peter? You're going to fail and I'm praying for you that after that's over, you're going to come back and feed the sheep. You remember this? (laughs) And he fails miserably. He's such a moron. His faith and his doubt is there for everyone to see. It didn't take much. Just somebody ran up to him. Aren't you with the Nazarene? No, no. Aren't you? No, no, I'm not. I don't want any part of that. And the rooster crows, and he falls apart. But what I want you to see is that in Acts chapter 4, Peter is standing before the same people who crucified Jesus. He's standing before the same people that just a week or two before crucified Jesus. And they say, whose name, whose name are you speaking for? And he goes, nobody, nobody. I don't know. I'm speaking for Jesus, the one you guys killed. And he stands up. It was the testing that created Acts 2 and Acts 4 and on and on and on. And the church is not fragile. And Jesus is not afraid of your doubt. And suffering is a part of this broken world. (sighs) Could I ask the elders to move to their places? Because the people of this world are saying, look around you, your God cannot be good. And I'm the one that's sitting in all of these spots with people in those moments where everyone, these atheists or agnostics or nuns will say, God cannot be good. And I'm watching lives be transformed in this holy ground. <laughs> Wait, look around, your God is not good. I would say, look around. He absolutely a hundred percent is. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Let's pray. Father, I hurt for the brokenness of this world. I heard from my friends in this room who have lost their husband their wife and their brother and their sister who are in the process of losing hurting struggling but Jesus Christ is who he says he is he is good and he does care father if Your son did resurrect from the dead. It changes everything, and we have to keep, we have to stop playing small. (laughs) If he did, Father, would you remind us again that you are with us, that you care, that you are here, and that we are not alone, and that you are very, very, very good. And you put your hook for it. Remind us again of who you are. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.